Hello and welcome to the Gelsnet podcast, the Independent Rangers podcast that's created by fans, for fans, and where the content is absolutely free. doing here please subscribe and share the podcast on social media um after the live broadcast the podcast is all also available across the usual download platforms like acast itunes youtube castbox stitcher and spotify um obviously no game this week but joining me is uh colin armstrong colin how are you doing yeah, aye, I'm, I'm not bad, David. I'm just getting over the stress of actually trying to set this thing up, but aye, getting there. Yeah. Um, unfortunately for the listeners, it's only going to be you and I tonight, so um, absolutely uh, nonsense. And after I, the rambling, I think it's going to be for 45 minutes. I disagree, I disagree. We're the McCoyston Hately of the, the podcasting world, David. I think the listeners are in for an absolute treat. I mean, what else are they going to be doing? They're going to be sitting watching I'm a Celebrity. Uh, Caitlin Jenner. She talks more sense than you and I, anyway. Um, oh, I don't know about that. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so no, what have you been doing yourself this weekend with no game? Uh, I was I took my boy out to his football yesterday. Uh, that was postponed. He was supposed to have a game in Dunblane. That was postponed. Took my daughter to her dancing. Uh, I went on a four mile walk yesterday and then I had some friends over for drinks we've moved house recently so we had some friends over last night for some drinks today uh, I was recovering from said drinks and uh, I went on a five mile walk so and then I had my tea and now I'm doing this so I watched a wee bit of the Northern Ireland game last night I saw Steve Davis miss his penalty but I never seen a uh, Scotland game I think I saw five minutes before I popped yesterday so, yeah. well I told in a football season. Yeah. Um, I caught a bit of the Scotland game. I thought Ryan Jack Ryan Jack did well, but we'll come on to that. Um, I think first and foremost, we've really got to start with, with the biggest story, Rangers-wise this week, which has been the, the fallout from the HMRC story that was in the, the Times through the week. Um, obviously a bit of a shock, and I think for any Rangers fan waking up, to see those headlines, it was a shock to to the system, and and certainly left a lot more questions than answers. Hello, can you hear me? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. sorry, I'm having a wee bit a bit of technical problems here. Yeah, I I was I mean I came home on Thursday night. I was uh, uh my boss. She was having a sort of leaving night, uh, so I was at that. So I got in about the sort of back at ten. So I had a wee scroll through Twitter and I just saw that Rangers and HMRC uh, was trending and I just kind of thought, oh no, here we go again, what's happening? You know, I, I did kind of uh, feel the worst a wee bit. Uh, I saw that the Times were going to run, be running a story. So I thought, well, obviously, if it's going to be in tomorrow's paper, it'll probably be online at around midnight. So I hung about. Uh, but just before that, I think word must have got out because I started to see stuff getting said that HMRC had miscalculated it. Uh, and when you read the full story, uh, I, I know many football commentators in this country, you know, your usual Graham Spears and Tom English and 
uh, Angela Haggerty and all the rest of them have, have went to great sort of pains to sort of play this down and, and still say that Rangers have sort of cheated on an industrial scale. But I don't think there's any denying that this is this is big news. You know what I mean? When you consider everything that happened at Rangers over that period, you know, people lost their jobs, uh, the clubs lost revenue, and you know, and still feeling the legacy of it. You know, with the the, the Mike Ashley stuff in Sports Direct. So yeah, I think it's I think it's big big news, and I think. Uh, Rangers fans have every right to sort of be asking questions about it. Yeah, for me, I mean, I obviously work in the media and I know quite a lot about the newspapers in, in the country and, and what they specialise in. And I think the fact that it was in the Times, you know, certainly the Times, the Times of London, Scotland edition, you know, that said to me that it was a, you know, a very... They wouldn't, they wouldn't go into, go into limit with this sort of stuff and I think they know... They know stuff when it comes to to the business side of things, and the fact that it's a business editor in Scotland, you know, did the story. Um, I think there's certainly something in it, but I don't know how you feel and, and what you've got from the situation. But I think, certainly as I said, you know, I think there's more more questions than answers. And, and where do you think the conversation now has to go from here? Well, I think the obvious. I mean, my immediate thing was. It's everything that Rangers have gone through. Uh, did that need to happen? Now, again, going back to what certain uh, commentators have said, you know, they've tried to downplay it and all the rest of it. But you, you have to ask that question. You have to say, well, if they've miscalculated, well, they've already admitted, and, and, I, and I know a lot of Celtic fans, again, are saying that that's not the case, that they're not pursuing the money because they're not going to get it. But, you know, HMRC are an official creditor of, of the OCO. So if they're entitled to any money, they'll they'll want that money. They won't get the full amount. They'll get a, 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 a you know a penny in the pound deal, but they're not going to waive any fees if they don't think that those fees are applicable. So if if the official liquidator of BDO have argued successfully that there was no sort of fraudulent or deliberate attempt to mislead the, the you know the taxmen that they weren't doing anything that they should have been doing, so that penalty was levied levied incorrectly then that's big news. You know, this grossing up thing that, that I know it's difficult to understand and a lot of supporters ask a lot of questions and I can't say that I totally understand it, uh, but it looks to me like the, the, the actual amount that was due is now being queried by BDO as well. So if that brings the total amount down significantly, which it already has, but if it brings it down even more so, then you would have to ask, would Craig White have got into the club? You know, would would the club been more attractive to more serious investors, more credible investors? Would we have stayed where we were in the in the, the the sort of football structure? These are these are all valid questions, and people like shareholders, people like the creditors. To me, the creditors should be asking questions and saying, would well, would I be an official creditor if HMRC hadn't stepped in here and made a total rear end of this calculation? Uh, so. I, I think it's quite serious. I, I think Rangers supporters in the club and everyone who was involved in Rangers at the time, people have lost their jobs. People are now waiting on a pound and penny deal from, from BDO. They have every right to ask questions at HMRC and say, well, actually, the your miscalculation have a, a, a huge effect on, on where Rangers ended up? Yeah, I think, I think that... For anyone that thinks we're going to see any sort of money out of this or, or anything like that, any sort of compensation in that sense, I think is it's wishful thinking. But to me, 
as you say, the full thing just brings up a lot of questions for supporters, especially after all the pain that we've gone through over the past, you know, few years. Um, to have something like this is is a bit of a, a slap in the. You know, when you look at, at what did happen and, and the fact we had to find a buyer, and then the buyer we did find, and then obviously what what came next. You know, if if, if that was a manageable debt and and it's been miscalculated in some way, then it's you know it's been a then a truly devastating impact um, on the club. But uh, to me, it brings up this whole thing again. And it, unfortunately, it brings it up at a time when, you know, the club is starting to go in the right direction. And we've got a, a good young manager who's who's leading us to, you know, we're leveling points for Celtic at the top of the table. We're, we're back in Europe. We're, albeit that the, the accounts aren't quite showing what we'd like them to show, but generally going in the, the sort of right direction. We've got Ross Wilson coming on board. Do you not think that this is just bringing up the past again? It's an unfortunate, you know, an unfortunate timing, um, certainly for this to, this to come out. I, I mean, the, the, there is an element of that. I think you're right, David, you know, it's kind of picking at, at old scabs and all the rest of it. But the, I think you also have to think reputationally, you know, Rangers were dragged through the mud. You know, they've been accused of, you know, the, the the phrase was cheating on an industrial scale where we had people from within the hierarchy of Scottish football saying that, that what Rangers were up to uh, was a step short of match fixing. You know, a lot of stuff aimed at Rangers, which damaged the brand and damaged the club hugely. Now, my argument on this is, has always been that every single business and every single football club will employ some form of scheme or process that will reduce their tax liability so they can put that money into other things. Rangers went down the road to EPTs and that road has, has turned out to be the wrong road. Excuse me. However, you know, if, if, it, if the figure's been miscalculated, that presents a problem in terms of, well, even if they had went down the wrong road, it, it couldn't have been a road that, that ended them up, you know, in the third division and loss of revenue and people losing their job and all that kind of a stuff. And also the, the the whole cheating thing that that has always grated with me, you know. So if you are if you are talking, Jordan Campbell done a good thing today in the the, the athletic. And I know as we were saying before we came on air, it's still quite technical and some it's still quite difficult to understand. But basically. <sighs> He was speaking to someone who was saying that the, the, the bill could end up as low as $26 million. Now, if that is the case, that's over nine years. That's over the nine years or the 10 years that the scheme is in, in, in operation. So, that, I mean, that takes it down to like $2 million a year. That doesn't strike me as cheating on an industrial scale. you know. And plus, you've also you've had other examples of other clubs using similar schemes. And the, the, the big one, I wrote about it in the Rangers Standard a few years ago. Uh, was the Arsenal case. You know, they'd been using offshore trusts. And unlike Rangers, they hadn't been publishing them in their annual reporting accounts. They only came to head when Ray Parler went through a sort of messy divorce and his true income was revealed. And HMRC were asking questions because that wasn't the income that they were declaring. And, it, it, you know, it was discovered that all this money was offshore. You know, the Arsenal team at that particular time went on a run where they won every single... Uh, they went through a season undefeated. There's no one in England, there's no football commentators in England saying, yeah, but they've done it through financial doping. Uh, they, they, you know, they cheated on an industrial scale because they were using these uh, offshore trusts. 
and that's the thing that it's the narrative and how the media have treated this and how that has damaged Rangers. So even if the club isn't going to see any financial sort of reward or anything for this error, reputationally, you know, it, it could have a big bearing. And I think, you know, I, I get the feeling Rangers have been fairly quiet on it. I get the feeling that the they're, they're keeping their, their, their powder dry at the moment. I think they're in the possession of more knowledge than they're letting on, more information than they're letting on and uh, they're keeping their powder dry at the moment. But I think they'll have something to say about it very shortly because it, it, the, the old co and all that stuff, as you say, it's gone. That's that's in the past now. And there is a bit of, you know, you're, you're picking at old wounds and scabs with, with, with us coming up. But there's also, that's the thing that's really annoyed me about the whole thing, the, the sort of reputational damage. This accusation that Rangers have cheated on an industrial scale. If HMRC have miscalculated this to the, the huge amounts that's been suggested, then that narrative, I think, needs challenged. I agree with that. I also wonder, in terms of, you know, as you say, if this has been miscalculated to that extent, and, um, you know, we are talking tens of millions of pounds that, you know, is the difference. It, it beggars belief that this wasn't picked up on by whoever was, you know, running the club at the time, because... It, I think I'm right in saying that the tax the tax issue didn't just come along when Craig White came along. It had been hanging in the background for, for a few years. So how it could slip through the net almost to the point where this was how much the difference was. I can't I can't believe there was no one at the club at the time that could have looked into this and said, Well, hang on a minute, we don't owe quite as much as is suggested in this in this big tax case. Well, that's one of the things I did notice someone from BDO comment on that saying that that's one of the things that surprised him. It seems to me, David, that the club have been down the road of saying we don't owe anything. You know what I mean? They've not they've not looked at the amount. The, the amount. Maybe looking at the amount, the club maybe felt would have been paramount to admitting that there was an issue. I think Rangers' stance at the time was no. We've been advised by you know a tax expert that this is fine, this is kosher, we can use this and there's no liability on it. So maybe that's why it slipped through the net. But you would think, I mean, any sort of major organisation has should have proper governance structures in place, you know, risk registers and all that kind of a stuff, and be looking at things and saying, well, if this falls through, where else do we go with it? And if the argument that we don't owe anything fell through, then you would surely think that the next thing they would go to would be, well, actually, the amount that you're you're challenging us on is, is way too much. So, yeah, I, I'm, that's one thing that did come out when, for me, I, I'm with you, I thought that was a bit strange. The only thing I can think of is the club took the view that, no, we don't owe anything. So they weren't going to challenge them. Well, they were challenging the amount, I suppose. They were saying, we don't owe anything. There's no tax due in this. These things are loans. This is a trust. And it's not Ehrman's. If they say, well, no, actually, we don't owe that amount. It should only be that amount. Maybe that the club viewed that as actually owning up. That you know these things were liable for tax. I don't know, but I'm with you. I thought I thought that was a bit odd. I don't. I don't think we've heard the last of this. I think probably it's just starting, but hopefully it won't be another another saga for the club to go through because obviously for something like this to run. For so long, it'd be good to, to get some answers sooner rather than later, you know, with the club in such a good good state at the moment. 
as and that, that I'm with you, David. I kind of, I think it was on Friday. I sort of said to myself, you know what? If we hadn't went down that road, and it was a torturous road, and it wasn't much fun at all. You know, Gerard wouldn't be at the club at the moment, and I really enjoy having Stephen Gerard there. I must admit. So, you know, every cloud has a silver line, and and we are where we are, I suppose. You know, and we just need to sort of uh, knuckle on with it. But I, I, again, it comes back to the reputational thing. You know, I think the club need to challenge that narrative. If if HMRC have miscalculated this to a huge amount, then the club need to 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 challenge this narrative that's held by many within the press and many within the, the game itself. You know, a lot of clubs, you know, are, I wouldn't even say passive-aggressive towards Rangers. They're just aggressive towards Rangers. You know, they, they don't hide their disdain and, and that needs challenged because, as I said, I think every club goes is involved in some form of scheme that, that, that reduces their tax liability. We know Celtic were involved in stuff. They actually had an EBT for Janino. They're involved in this LLP stuff. Uh, and there's another thing that bothers me, you know, <laughs> see when things like this happen, I always try and flip it another side and say, well, what would this be like if it was happening to another club? And in our situation, it'd be like, what would this be like if it was happening to Celtic? Now, if if a UK government department had harassed Celtic uh, to the point of, you know, administration and all the rest of it, and they went down all the divisions and lost revenue and staff were paid off, uh, at the same time that someone on the board, you know, the chairman at Rangers was a serving UK government minister. I know what sort of theories would be getting put out there. You know what I mean? And I know Rangers fans like to sort of stay away from the paranoia stuff and, you know, the, the, the what do you call it, the conspiracy theories and all that kind of thing. But sometimes you need to ask questions. And, and John Reid was there. He was he was part of the UK government at the time. Uh, I thought I worked for HMRC at the time. I'm an ex HMRC employee. I wasn't involved in compliance or anything like that. I wasn't involved in chasing people for money. But I did know people who were involved in that side of the business, and they thought the way that HMRC were conducting the business with Rangers was odd. I think for HMRC, you saw a bit of that odd behaviour towards the end of last week when this story broke. Their initial statement said, well, we never comment on identifiable businesses. And then at 11 o'clock on Thursday night, they're drunk tweeting saying, well, we beat Rangers in the, the, the Supreme Court. Uh, and they've, they've issued another tweet since that identifies Rangers. So some of their behaviour uh, looks odd. I think the way they, they conducted themselves through the whole thing is odd. And <sighs> again, without getting too far into it and without getting, letting it bog us down too much, I think we're entitled to ask questions. Yeah, and I, I would I would imagine in the in the weeks to come there will be um, such questions asked. Uh, but we'll move on from there. I think um, obviously, as I said at the top of the show, no football this weekend, but there has been plenty of Rangers players in, in international action. Ryan Jack for Scotland, of course, Alfredo Morelos for Colombia, Scott Arfield's in action for Canada, Stephen Davis, Glenn Kamara. Joe Rebo, you know, there's a lot of them out there. Uh, good to see so many playing for their countries at the moment, Colin. Well, it's good that we we have players at that level now. You know what I mean? Uh, it wasn't that long ago, you know, you, I think Lee Wallace got the odd shout when we were in the lower leagues. Uh, and that would be a bit, but it was, I think it was the boy Prouter, was he an international at one stage? 
you know, there was the odd one here. Yeah. There, you know, there was odd one here and there, but overall, you know, not much happening because of where we were. Uh, because of the journey that we were on, so I mean, it's good to to see that we have that level of player involved at the club again. But I always fear. I'm quite negative when it comes to international football. Uh, I always fear that they're going to go away and get injured, and uh, I, I prefer them just to do their business for Rangers. And especially given the the current relationship between Rangers and Scotland, I'm always a bit negative when I see Rangers players turning out for Scotland. Now I know I shouldn't be, but you know, the last five or six years has, has left a scar. So, you know, I'm tough for Ryan Jack because it seems to me it's something that he wants to do. But do I like seeing him play for Scotland? I can't say I do. And I can't, I don't, I don't like seeing any of them going away. I, I want to keep them wrapped up cotton wool uh, so that they're fit for us. But I think, as you said, you know, to have um, <clears throat> to have so many doing so well for us to the point where they are being, they are being called up, you know, it's good to see guys like, Glenn Kamara and, and Jory Bo getting that recognition certainly, you know, quite early in their careers. Uh, obviously not for the for the top countries, but certainly it's good to see them doing so well. And, and then obviously Philip Hollander and, um, you know, Stephen Davis obviously doing well too. And, and obviously I think he, he became the most capped player in the UK yesterday, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'd, I watched about sort of 10, 15 minutes of it. Uh, as I said, I had friends over last night, so it was kind of on in the background. I seen him miss his penalty, uh, and I had a feeling he was going to miss it because Holland were quite clever at delaying the penalty. The keeper sort of you know, made a big stushy about it. There was a big complaint about the initial award of the penalty, and it just seemed to drag on and on. And just to look in his face, uh, he just kind of got the feeling uh, he doesn't look confident anymore. Uh, and he sort of hoofed it out of the bar. Uh, Barisic had a had a, a, a good assist yesterday. Uh, really? I can't I can't remember the guy's name who scored, but it was Barisic has done some some really good stuff in the down the left wing. Got to the byline and rather sending it in in front of the keeper, he cut it back. But the guys just came in and met it. So it gives them experience of playing football at a decent level as well. You know, it, it helps develop them as players. Obviously, Morelos got his goal. That, when it comes to his inevitable move, I mean, I don't think it'll be in January, but I, I, I certainly don't think he'll be here past next summer. You know, th- things like that add money to, you know, to his eventual transfer fee. So there's a positive side to it, but, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that when all these players, every manager, but Steven Gerrard, you know, that's the one I'm concerned about. When he sees the guys, you know, leave the training centre, to, to go and fly away to play for their country, you know, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty certain he'll be sitting there sweating, you know, and hoping that none of them come back with any niggles. Had the Ryan Jack issue the last time, you know, he, he got overtrained and came back with a knee issue. So, yeah, I, that, I, I like that they're doing well, but there's a downside to it, if you know what I mean. Just touching on Manelas there, obviously, you know, to get his first goal, and he seems to be doing quite well for them too, and obviously doing very well for us. Is it if someone comes in in January, what what would it have to take to sell him? Realistically, I know I know Gerard said that he wanted to let him go, but as a fan, you know what what would be an irresistible offer for you? I mean, it's I always find this really hard to do because I find the market ridiculous. You know, what I mean, it's just off off the wall. 
uh, crazy. But you know, in terms of recent moves over the border, you, you've obviously got to look at Tierney, who hadn't played a huge amount of football, whose fitness is highly questionable in my opinion, uh, and he's went for for twenty five million. So the the level in which Morelos has increased over the last certainly since Gerard's been there. I know last season he had issues with his you know his discipline, he was getting sent off a lot and all the rest of it. This season he's absolutely been on the money with that. And it, it seems to me that Gerard sat him down and said, Look, if you want your big move, that's a part of the game. That's a part of your game that you need to pick up on. Big clubs are not going to come near you if you know you can't be trusted. He's picked up on that. I think one of the bookings he got a couple of weeks ago was an absolute nonsense. You know, referees are running out of reasons to, to, to book him. So he's improved on that. He's got his first goal for his country. He's improved on that. And even his performances in Europe. I mean, his goal against Porto, uh, you know, that was that was a very, very good finish. And uh, the return leg as well uh, at Ibrox. You know, same again. So he's, this accusation that he doesn't score in big games just doesn't stand up. You know, he is he is the main man at Ibrox now, and over the last year, he's he's, he's really came on. So add all that together, I would from a move in January, I would want more than we would be getting offered in the summer because that would we would have to have the compensation of him going early. So taking the Tierney thing into equation. It would have to be over 30 now. Yeah, I think it seems to be every every time he scores a goal, there's more money being being bandied about. I thought 25 million would be would be decent cash for him, but yeah, as you say, it's he difference between these players is you know Tierney's a left back, good player. I, I do like Tierney to be fair, um, and I do agree that he is slightly injury prone, but I don't know how much of that has got to do with just being in the same environment, I think it's you see a lot of players and them and they actually move from a club that they've spent all their careers at injuries start to sort of become less of an issue because they're working with maybe different physios and different um, sports science teams. But certainly, I think was he worth that? I don't know. Maybe based on Champions League games from a couple of seasons ago, but certainly I think he's a good enough player. But also a left back who isn't going to win you games. Difference Manelas has got is he is he is a match winner, he's a goal scorer and you know, goals win you games. And I think that's that's the biggest thing when I when I would be rating a player. And I think, as you say, I think maybe thirty million pounds wouldn't be outrageous because if you're a if you're a Premier League club and you're gonna pay money for a a guy in, in France or, or Italy or whatever, um you'll be paying upwards of thirty million. So because he's playing in Scotland doesn't mean that he you know, should be going for any less because I think his Europa League performances um, have proved that he, he can mix it with some of the best, other certainly the better teams in that competition. Uh, he's scored a lot of goals. I think it would be, I don't know what you think, but I think it would be devastating for us to lose him in, in January. I don't know if we did lose him, who we would possibly replace him with because I don't see, I don't see Defoe as a, as a number one striker. No, uh, I mean it, it would be down to. I'm, I'm pretty sure there would be, you know, succession planning in place because I know Ross Wilson's come out and said he's not going to move on. He's not for sale. And Gerard's come out saying categor- categorically he won't move on in January. 
if a club comes in with a really silly offer, I remember this with Trevor Stephen. Uh, you're probably too young to remember this, David, but Trevor yeah, Stephen was too young. Yeah, uh, okay, very good. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, Marseille came in with the initial offer, and David Murray was given it. You know, no amount of money. Moving on, it was like two million to start with, then it was three million. Then it got, I think, it got to about five point five million, which at that time was just outrageous money. You know, I didn't know a Rangers fan at the time. I mean, Trevor Stephen to me is a very, very underrated Rangers player. Uh, those that seen him, certainly in his first spell at the club, will know what I'm talking about. He was a fantastic player, uh, just an absolute joy to watch. And you know, I, I was always not the can I sell Trevor Stephen? Can I sell Trevor Stephen? You know, when Marseille started coming in with five million, five point five million, you know, everybody in the room was looking at one another going, Well, we can't no take that kind of money. You know what I mean? No man's bigger than the club and all that kind of a thing. So I'm pretty sure that Rangers don't want me to go in January. But if some if a team comes in with thirty five million, are the club really gonna turn that down? We signed them for a million. You know, we could get injured between now and the summer. Uh, I think Rangers will have a valuation of them. If, if a club meets that, I think they might say no. We'll hold off to the summer. If they go above that, then you know every player has his price. So I don't think he will go in January. But if somebody comes in with stupid money, then you just never know. I think the issue, the issue for us is yes, he may go. And fair enough. Like if, as you say, if a, if a crazy offer comes in, but what that succession plan is. Would be I'd be interested to know the sort of names they were looking at because obviously in the summer, I think they were looking at Kamal Roof. Well, I saw the paper said they were looking at Kamal Roof, who, who um, was at Leeds United last season and is now at Anderlecht. I think he went for six million. So that's that's probably the market we're dealing in, which is Championship strikers in England or, or something of that that like. Um, and to me. That's not a great. I think Morelos is is a player who can score goals in the Europa League, for instance. If we were getting someone from the English Championship for say five or six million at an inflated rate, there's no guarantee they'd be able to mix it in in that European stage, and that's that's a concern for me. I think, you know, if they were given the opportunity to go through the qualifiers and stuff like that, but they would come, say we qualify, they would be coming unexpected to score goals both in the league and then in Europe and that's the worrying thing for me that we can't quite replace him with someone who would be able to come in and fill his boots straight away but I mean Morelos probably wouldn't have been able to fill his own boots you know two or three years ago Morelos has developed whilst he's been here and I think that's kind of where Rangers are and and Celtic to a large extent as well you know I wouldn't say it's a high risk strategy but it's definitely a buy cheap sell high strategy and that type of strategy doesn't always work. You know, if you're operating in the sort of, I don't want to say the lower levels, but, you know, under the radar, so to speak, try to find players that some of the bigger clubs just haven't quite picked up on yet, uh, you are going to get ones that don't work. You know what I mean? And, and as much as Celtic get a lot of praise for, you know, some of the ones that have, have came off, I've had a, a right few duds as well. You know what I mean? So when Morelos first arrived at Rangers, it, it, it wasn't the player that he is now. So I don't think, if, you know, if we go out and sign someone, what did Morelos cost? A million? 1.2 million or something yeah, like that? I think it was a million. Yeah, so a million. So if we go out and sign another boy a million, we're not getting another, you know, Morelos where he is now, but we might be getting another Morelos 
where he was when he first signed for the club, you know, and in two or three years he might develop into that 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 same player. And I think that's just where we are. You know, as a club, you know, we're, we're not the club of old, you know, 10, 20, 25 years ago, whatever, when we could go out and sign Ronald De Boer, say, you know, we get beat off Celtic and we think, right, who will go and sign? Oh, we'll go and sign Ronald De Boer. I mean, those days are obviously gone. So we are, you know, sort of looking at, or trying to anyway, look at younger players who we think we can get something out of and develop them and then sell for a, for a profit further down the line. Ross Wilson will obviously have a big a big say in that going forward. So uh, I wouldn't be too worried if whoever we brought into the place Morelos wasn't quite at his standards straight away because Morelos wasn't at those standards when he first arrived. Yeah, I think I think more what I mean is in January, you know, we'll still be chasing the league title and I think we won't be able to then bring someone in like that. I don't think the fans would accept that if we were selling them for say for talking say 30 million quid and we're bringing someone in for 500 grand or, or a million quid to try and shoot us to a title you know we I think the fans would be expecting someone of Ryan Kent type price you know to come in um, and I don't think that I think having taken 30 million for Morales it wouldn't be a completely unreasonable you know yeah um, expectation to take someone and and, and the and the boy Kamal Roof comes to mind only because he was linked with in the summer and he cost under like six million from Leeds. Nice player, um, scored a lot of goals for Leeds last season. Would would probably fit into our system, and it won't be him because he's obviously just moved. But my point is, that would probably have to be the market we were looking in. And would we get someone that would be able to come in and, and hit the ground running if he did leave in January? I think it'd be difficult. I think it'd be very difficult to do that, and that's probably why I think he won't leave in January. So. We just we just have to hope that that's the case. Uh, but my worry is if someone comes in with, with stupid money, with, with crazy money that the club, because as I said before, everybody's got the price, you know. And as much as the club have said that they, they don't want to sell him, if someone comes in with an offer that you can't refuse, then I, I think he's on his way. But I'm fairly confident he'll he'll see out January. I think he'll still be here come next season. I think he looks like a player who is on a bit of a mission at the moment. I don't think he wants to leave Scotland without some form of silverware. I think he wants to score against Celtic as well. You know, I think he'll he'll stay until... I, I, I think he's away in the summer. I, I think he will stay uh, as long as no one comes in with, you know, the aforementioned crazy money. So hopefully that's what will happen. And come the, the, the after the winter break, he'll still be there. We'll still have the four... And who knows, we might even have another couple in. I doubt it. I think Gerard's going the other way. I think he feels he needs to trim his squad a wee bit. Uh, but you never know. We might have one or two more in. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on that one as well, of course. Um, but obviously, we're now looking at... Uh, well, anyone that wasn't you know, watching Scotland yesterday, I think it was at Ibrox, uh, seeing the, the Colts side go through to the semi-finals of the Tunnock's Caramel Wafer Cup. Um, which was good to see Colin see, seeing the youngsters uh, get through um, and, and play so well yeah is, is the, the Caramel Wafer Cup is that not a, a sort of extension of the Ramsdens yeah 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 right so I mean I, I mean I'm mentally scarred for that tournament because I was at Easter Road the day Wraith, Wraith Rovers beat us in it and, and during that journey we were talking about earlier on 
that was probably the worst day of the lot for me. I just remember coming out Easter Road that day thinking, this is never going to end. This is this is where we are now, you know. Uh, so I am mentally scarred for that tournament. But you have to, I mean, you have to hand it to Graham Murray. You know, he got a lot of stick thrown at him when he was, you know, in the job before Gerard arrived. I think it had a big impact on him personally. I think he, he struggled with the, the pressure that came with the job. And a lot of people would have just folded, you know, and just said, I don't want anything to do with this club anymore uh, and walk away. And obviously there, there was a whole Lee Wallace and, and Kenny Miller stuff as well. It would have been very easy for Murty to walk away. He didn't. He stayed. And, you know, he went back to his previous role and, you know, you see the, the, the young boys get to the semi-final of this tournament, a tournament that the senior team couldn't win under Ali McCoyst. Uh I think it's a great achievement. I think it's it's absolutely superb. I couldn't I couldn't go yesterday, uh, but I'll, I'll certainly have a wee look at the semi-final and see if I can pop along to that. I think it's good to see, uh, <clears throat> obviously, the, the younger players at the club, like uh, Jamie Burrows-Jonas, who's obviously just signed a new, a new deal, Um he got the first goal and then Young Coombs got the, the second goal. Um, but it's good to see them get that experience of playing at Ibrox as well, isn't it? Aye, and it, there was a decent crowd there as well. And I do believe the Green Brigade popped along and made things a bit spicier. Uh, and if they're going to be future Rangers players, that's the sort of atmosphere they need to get used to. You know what I mean? The Rangers, I've said this before, uh, I mean, when I was younger, growing up, wanting to play for Rangers, I used to look at it and think that must be so easy. Just turning out every week and winning games of football and winning tournaments. And But actually, it's incredibly difficult and it's it's it's, it's physically and mentally demanding. You know, and it, it only takes, uh, there's only a certain type of people that can, can play for Rangers. You know what I mean? And there's been good players come in and couldn't deal with it. You know, it's all, you know, Roses and wine when you first arrive, you know, but three or four games in, that's it. You've had your honeymoon period, you know, and I've, I've seen players sort of struggle once the crowd sort of start getting on top of people. Uh, I've seen players well under that. So it's good to get the young boys in there in front of a decent crowd and getting used to the sort of atmosphere and the expectation that comes for, for playing for Rangers. Some of them will be weeded out. You would actually have to say that most of them would be weeded out in that process. But, you know, you never know. You might get two or three. You know, we went through a period about 10, 15 years ago when we pulled quite a few through the through, uh, through the youth ranks. You know, you can, there's Charlie Adams, Alan Hutton, McGregor, Chris Buck. You know, there was a few came through that, that all had fairly successful careers. So here's hoping that the current uh, batch of youngsters have a, have a sort of similar rep. I think it's about time we're bringing more players through because obviously in recent years we haven't really had many. I think Ross McCrory is probably the biggest success story we can we can really look at. Uh, possibly Lewis McLeod, but again, not not done much. Down south, Barry McKay, again, not done a great deal since he left. So it's probably about time that we brought some young players through. I think even Glenn Middleton, for me, last season came into the team and didn't do a lot for me. I think a loan move maybe will stand him in good stead, but I don't know if he's quite a, a Rangers player for as, as much as I can see. And certainly I, I didn't think he was last season. Reminded me quite a lot of Greg Wild, actually. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure we're bringing through... I'm not sure, basically, we're bringing through enough enough young players, and I don't know what you think. 
Uh, well, I think uh, I think the the sort of impact of 2012. I think a lot of that sort of disrupted any flow of young players coming through. I also think bringing through young players, everyone keeps saying it's the way we've got to go down. And I think it's it's a vital part of it. You know, we need to try and be producing our own. But, you know, the, the problem with it is, and I heard Ronald, the, eh, no, Ronald, sorry, Frank the Boer talking about this when he was manager of Ajax. You know, the big clubs now are, are stockpiling so many players. You know, so Frank the Boer made the, the argument that he got his big move when he was like 28, 29. He was, he, you know, Ajax, eh, coached him, developed him, and they got the best years out of him, and then he got his big move at like 27, 28. The example he was using at this point was uh, Ericsson, who was moving from Ajax to Spurs. And he was saying, so he's now 21, and that's him getting his big move. He says, so I need to go to the 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 the, the young boys and, and bring someone out there that's maybe not ready yet to, to play in the first team, but I've got to develop him quicker, get him in there. And so he will develop quicker, and then I'll be selling him when he's 20 to 21 again. So I think the most recent example of that with Angels is the boy Gilmore, you know what I mean, who, who went to Chelsea. So the, the, the thing is, if you produce someone of really, you know, a real top high-end player, the chances are he's not going to get to a first team because somebody for the Premiership or someone else is going to come in and take him. Uh, Danny Wilson was the same. You know, he came in, I thought when he first arrived at Rangers, when he first broke into the team, I thought he looked like, I thought this, this guy's, what a player this boy is. It reminded me of Alan Hansen. He was so cool on the ball, uh, very assured centre-half, got two or three Champions League games, done pretty well. Liverpool come in, take him, stick him in the reserves. You know, his career never really developed after that. So that's that's my issue with producing young players. I think it's part of the process. I think we need to do it. But if we produce someone of real high quality, then the chances of them actually reaching our first team are pretty slim because another club from especially when you stay next door to one of the biggest leagues in the world we've got the premiership just down the road there if we've got anyone who's really tearing up trees at sort of 17 18 years of age the chances are he'll be gone before we we get anything out of him yeah another thing uh, obviously our coats have have been doing well in this this competition and there's been a lot of talk about perhaps you know Rangers and Celtic having cult teams in the in the league pyramid. A lot of people who support teams within that pyramid and in, in, in the lower leagues have, have obviously scoffed at that suggestion. Probably understandably because at the end of the day they're the guys that are, that are going to watch these leagues week in week out. But what's your take on it? Do you think it would help with the developing of, of players in, in this country and, and making the I suppose making the the quality of the of the player coming through a bit a bit better if they were getting that experience of playing against men. Yeah, and and uh, I, I think that's something. I mean, you're, you're going into a debate that could could rage on for however long. I know I know a lot of people feel that when they 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 shortened the size of the league. You know, it used to be 18, 20 teams when they went to the Premier League model when it was just ten teams. You know that meant that. All the clubs were like, well, there's no, there's no as much room for leeway here. You know, we've, we've got to make sure we're not getting rele- relegated or we're not in the bottom five or whatever. So that sort of cut out the opportunity for young boys to break into the team. Uh, I think the loan thing helps, but there's nothing, there's nothing better for a young player than 
than getting into the team. And I, I think that there's so much money involved in the game now as well. You know I mean, so the, the 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 rewards for success are so huge that clubs are just not going to risk that on a 17, 18 year old. You know what I mean? And it's as it it's becoming very, very difficult for young players to break in, especially at clubs like Rangers and Celtic. But it's just a monopoly of two clubs, and over the last you know seven or eight years, one club. You know, so it's it's very, very difficult, I think, for young players to to, to break through now and. And that, you could argue, has impacted on the quality of the players overall. You know what I mean? And, and you, you could argue that that's maybe linked to the demise in the national squad and all the rest of it. As I said, you could be here forever going on about it. Uh, you know, and obviously we're buying in foreign players now as well. That was something that wasn't, you know, so common, you know, 25, 30 years ago. So, yeah, yeah the, the, out of all the changes in the game over the last sort of few years, it's probably young players coming through that bore the brunt of most of that, to be honest with you, because their chances are now limited so much that it's only the the, the, the really top ones that are getting through. Yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they do in the, in the next round, whoever they get, and obviously keep a close eye on that with, with the men. You want to know something? I would love them to get to the final because... <laughs> it would be quite an occasion for them and there would be a huge support there for them. You know what I mean? And it would it would probably resemble, I remember when the Scotland under-16s got to the World Cup final, again, you're probably too young to remember this, David. Don't, but... don't know about it. <laughs> well, I was actually there that day at Hamden. I've only been to two Scotland games in my life and that was one of them. And it was a great atmosphere, you know what I mean? And it was a real sort of, you know, a sort of joyous moment, a feeling that these guys would go on and maybe do something further down the line, which obviously they didn't do. But uh, yeah, it would, it, I think it would be something similar to that. I think if, 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 if the Colts got to the final, they could count on a huge support following them. Yeah. Moving on to the to the top the top team, and obviously return to action next weekend uh, away at Hamilton. What? How important is that game? I suppose. When you look at the the run of fixtures we've got after that, I think it's it's um, all the all the sort of big big guns. When you look at we've got Aberdeen Hearts, Celtic in the Cup, and Feyenoord all in the next four fixtures after Hamilton away. So I mean, it's it's going to be really important to to get off to win and start in that in that run. Yeah, I uh, I mean Hamilton away, you would think it's three easy points, but I always think we look about. Rusty coming back for the international break. So I, I think, and it's obviously on one of these pitches that our players don't particularly like. I would still expect Rangers to win, but I mean, every game is vital now because it's so nip and tuck. And we are entering, I think, you know, the end of November and the whole of December uh, could have a huge bearing on, on, on where we end up because, you know, we've got Hibs Hearts, Celtic at Celtic Park, we've got Celtic in the League Cup, Aberdeen up at Pataudry. It's similar to the run we had last December, actually. We had a similar run last December, and I think we came out at sort of 50%, 60% better off. But uh, obviously this season, apart from the Celtic game, we've, we've done very, very well. So it's going to be a tough month for us. So games like Hamilton, yeah, you need to make sure you, 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 you get the points first. And if you can, given the way the league's going, if you can get a few goals, all the better. It's an exciting time, though, for the club. I mean... To have a, a big Europa League tie away and then a cup final, you know, it's it's an exciting time to be an Angels fan. 
it is, and I'm quite enjoying it uh, for my boy because you know he. I'd done a blog about this a couple of weeks ago, saying you know when he first started getting interested in Rangers, they were they were in the, the middle of the journey, you know, so they were coming up the divisions, you know. So anytime I took him to Ibrox, it was Stenish Muir, it was Forfar, it was Queens Park, it was teams like that, and he never really got uh, the, the real sort of experience of what it was like to be a Rangers supporter until uh, that semi final against Celtic when we, when we beat them in penalties. So the whole European thing. It's just a, another dynamic, you know. That's uh, he's, you know, he's enjoyed those nights. We've, we've been at the home games, and obviously we'll watch the away games in, in the house. And you know, you can see him walking a wee bit prouder now. You know, he, he, he used to go into school and get a lot of stick, you know, about his his team. You can see him now. He's a wee bit more assured, and he's got a wee bit more to brag about. So yeah, I've quite enjoyed it. I, I, I know it takes a lot out the the players and the squad, and it's. You know, it's it's full on and all the rest of it. But for supporters, it's great. You know, I can remember in the 92-93 season when we had that run in the Champions League. I think it was November. The month of November, we had Leeds home and away. We had Aberdeen in the League Cup final. Uh, we had Celtic at Celtic Park. And I can't, honestly, it was, it was just like, when you looked at the month, you were just like, there's no way we are coming out of this unscathed. And we won every game. You know, we won every game. We won the League Cup. We beat Leeds United home and away. Uh, we beat Celtic at Celtic Park. It was just a great month. And once you got one victory, you let's go again. You know, that the, the momentum started. Uh, and hopefully that's what we're about to go into, get the Hamilton game out the road and then go at this, uh, this heavy month of December. And they're big games. That's what you want. You want to be playing fire another way, knowing that if you win, you're... you're you're in the knockout stages of the Europa League. You want to be playing in a cup final against your greatest rivals. You want to be playing against Aberdeen at Pitodge. You want these things because that's a sign that you're a big club. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think that's a that's a good note to to finish on. So thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks, Colin, for a, a good chat tonight. Um, I was a bit worried when you detailed your full weekend at the start, bit by bit. Maybe a bit boring, but we got there in the end. I think. Too, so, so well, be- you know, we've got to find content for you somewhere, David. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next time.